0: This is a podcast from Minute Media. Welcome to the Pride of London podcast, part of the Fan Sided Podcast Network. Please welcome your hosts, Gabe Henderson and Travis Tyler. Hello, everybody, and welcome into the Pride of London podcast. As usual, I am your host, Gabe Henderson. I'm joined here by my co site expert and co host, Travis Tyler. No special guests today. But we do have a lot to talk about, including a big, big, big—can't emphasize that enough—win uh, over Spurs the other day. So, Travis, um, let's just get your initial thoughts on that win.
1: I mean, it was definitely a good. Any win against Spurs is a good one, but third time in a row in this month, where just every single game, no matter how we've been doing elsewhere we've just kind of battered Spurs is just really nice. And, I mean, this is probably the nicest one for me overall just because it felt like if anyone – if any of the games Spurs was going to win, it was probably going to be this one, you know, given how awful we were (laughs) against Brighton and given how Spurs just had that comeback win against Leicester City, it just felt like – Maybe things were a little not in our favor, but you know, Tuchel mixed it up again. He changed the formation a little bit. This time we used a 4-1-4-1. Uh, basically, a year after Lampard was sacked, we went back to using his tactics, and they worked. I mean, there, there were some differences between how Tuchel did it and how Lampard would do it, but they were there was a lot of similar ideas there. Um, yeah, and it just completely caught – Antonio Conte off guard again. I mean, you know, I don't know why Tuchel waited so long to start experimenting this much, but for whatever reason, he decided Spurs was going to be the guinea pig each time. And each time Antonio Conte has just been completely caught off guard by it. So, you know, if I'm Conte and playing Chelsea next time, we could just do something completely normal, and he would already be overthinking it at this point. So good stuff for down the road.
0: Yeah, that was one of the most interesting things from this game and from this little trilogy against Spurs this month with Antonio Conte is the fact that every game we kept him guessing. And like you mentioned, we brought out this new 4-1-4-1 formation. Um, It's what Thomas Tuchel called it. Once again, there were a ton of debates in game about what formation it actually was between the fans, but we're just going to go and roll with the official formation that Thomas Tuchel brought out. And yeah, that's a really good point. Um, we, we don't have to play Spurs again this year, unless we both advance in the FA cup and meet each other again, which would be kind of fun given we have four wins against them and four this year, and they have yet to score against us, but Yeah, it it makes it really hard going forward, and this makes it three in a row for Tupel against Antonio Conte, who is one of the best managers in the world, much like Guardiola, who he went three for three against to start um, his Chelsea tenure. So I thought overall this was the best performance we had probably in the last month. I'm not going to really count Chesterfield, given the fact that it's Chesterfield, but I think this was the best win since our 2-0 win over Brentford uh, when we had to start the three youngsters in that game. So, yeah, just a lot of positive takeaways from this one.
1: Yeah, and I mean, like I said, it was kind of like how Lampard would used to do things where the defense would be really far off from the offense. We'd be in behind, trying to play quickly. Uh, we'd be stretching the flanks out and you know Lampard used to try to do that with the fullbacks Tuchel was doing with actual wingers with Hudson Odoy and Hakeem Ziyech really stretching things out and in, instead of Mount and Kovacic the eights you know kind of staying back in a more possessive, uh, recycling kind of role they were actually getting forward into the attack as well. And, uh, I mean, it worked. It worked really well. When we don't have wingbacks like we don't right now, it doesn't make sense to keep using a formation that relies on them. And all of the fullbacks that we have are more on the defensive side, so it doesn't really make sense to have them overlapping like, you know, Trent Alexander-Arnold might. It makes much more sense to keep them behind the play and be recycling the possession. And that lets you get Mount Goetsch higher up, which they've been doing a lot lately with Tuchel anyway. And it just kind of puts everyone in a good position to succeed. And for me, you know, I, I'm all, I completely understand some managers have this big idea of how the game should be played. But at the end of the day, I think the best managers look at the players they have and they adapt to the players they have. They put those players in positions to succeed – and this four-one-four-one, which is, you know, it's just a fancier way to call it a four-three-three. This put everyone in a position to succeed. I, I can't ignore that, you know, just a few days before, we used 4 2 2 or 4-2-3-1 against Brighton and looked completely awful with pretty much the same players. But may, maybe this is one of those turning point kind of games where, You know, everything clicked. We have the right combinations of guys on the field and we can build on this going forward. I mean, unfortunately, we have to wait a few weeks before Chelsea plays again, but I wouldn't mind seeing this formation throughout like the Club World Cup because, you know, it adds that extra attacker and that alone is helping us create chances that we're not creating otherwise. And we didn't really sacrifice a whole lot on the defensive end. There were a few moments that could have been worse than they were. And you know how I feel about the Harry Kane goal. It was a goal for me. But, you know, it it worked otherwise. So I think there's definitely something to build on here against certain teams. I don't know if I'd use it against City or Liverpool, but overall we have building blocks here.
0: Yeah, I know you confused a lot of people yesterday during the game. And you called it a back five, but yeah. I mean, it really was that. It was the four center backs, and I'm saying that because Malang Sar and Cesar Azpilicueta, who played left and right back respectively, are center backs, and Jorginho just sat back, and like you said, there was a disconnect between them and the attack, but usually when you hear a phrase like the defense was disconnected from the attack, you – think that's a horrible thing and you can only just picture what Antonio Conte drew up and really caused that fracture in the team, but it was a really good thing. You know um, I thought it was really a positive thing to see Mason Mount and and Z um just rotating and playing off one another and having Mateo Kovacic closer to Romelu Lukaku was really positive as well. But, you know, we, as Chelsea fans like to talk about this best 11, this whole idea that we have 11 players that are the best in, in the big games. We would field this team when in reality, that's not the case. And I know we're all guilty of it. And I'm guilty of it too. It, it's a game by game basis and whoever's available, we have to roll with that. And I think I agree with you in the sense that this four, one, four, one is best case scenario for us right now. Now it begs the question, uh, about guys like N'Golo Kante who weren't in the team, but I don't see any reason to not go ahead with this formation right now. Obviously, we have the game against Plymouth coming up um, in a few weeks, and then we have the Club World Cup. So it's going to be a while before we play in the Premier League or Champions League, but I think that really just gives us time to establish an identity and really get... Um, this chemistry built up between especially the attack and that's something we'll, we'll touch on in a little bit, a little more, but the whole thing is like, you know, in the, in the Brighton game or in the, excuse me, Man City game, we saw front three of uh, Pulisic, Ziyech and Lukaku who had never played together before. And I believe it was Matt law who, pointed out on the his latest um, appearance on the London is Blue podcast that Chelsea has used 20 different combinations of forwards this season. And, you know, um, Ola did a piece yesterday for us. And you can go check that out on the prideoflondon.com. It's live. Uh, and he analyzed all the attacking numbers. And he came to the conclusion in that article, I don't mean to spoil it for anybody, that chemistry is really the difference between us Liverpool and Man City. So I think when you have, like you said, this formation that really allows us to play in all the favor formations for the available players, you're going to start building that chemistry up.
1: Yeah. And I don't think people really understand just how important it is, especially in attack when, like, you know what the guy next to you is going to do in this situation and because you know what he's going to do you can plan ahead what you're going to do and all of a sudden it looks like you're telepathic with each other and you know playing miles ahead of you know any kind of training or anything else you can do like that that was kind of what like Maurizio Sarri wanted us to do was like re- rehearse these routines over and over so we knew what, what everyone was going to do before they do it and then you have guys like Lampard and Zuccu where they don't really rely on those routines as much but then you rely on players making decisions. And the only way to really get them used to making good decisions with each other is if they know what decisions they're all going to make. So lately we've seen a whole lot more of Lukaku, Ziyech, and Mason Mount together in a trio. It seems to me that's kind of the trio Tuchel's going for now. You know, I, I don't really know why Timo Werner, Kai Havertz aren't really getting the looks that they used to under Tuchel. Uh, Pulisic, I mean, he kind of got his chance and he just didn't really take it. Hudson Odoi's kind of in and out. So right now I think it pretty much lays down on those three to get it together and get it working. And like, I mean, again, it was awful against Brighton, but then it worked against Manchester, uh, not Manchester City. Then it worked against Tottenham. So, you know, maybe this is just one of these things that takes time to get everyone where they need to be in jail. But when it works, it's going to look really, really good. And it's going to be really hard to stop teams that are that telepathic. I mean, that's why Firmino, Sala, and Mane have been so good with each other and why Jurgen Klopp usually rotates all of them if he rotates any of them. You know, Jota's kind of got into that now too. But, you know, it, you, you just want those relationships to be built before opponents can really you know, do anything to stop it. And that just is going to take time.
0: Yeah. And I think you touched on a really important point. There is, you know, we have these guys in the three that you mentioned, um, ZH Mount and Lukaku, who it looks like Tuchel is really trying to make work. But then I thought the important thing yesterday was bringing in Hudson Adoy, because I've gone on record saying that Hudson Adoy should be our starting left winger. And I know he hasn't been great as of late. He looked really good yesterday. And I also think that when you give guys like Hakam Ziyech and Mason Mount the freedom to move around the pitch in an attacking position, especially Ziyech on the right with that lethal left foot, it brings out the best in him. And I think when you start giving these guys opportunities to play in the positions they're comfortable with in numbers too, because now you've got four of them and two of them in those free roles. And they're really versatile. So they can play that. That's when you start getting results. And I think that extra attacker yesterday, whether you look at it as Hudson Adoy in this equation or Hakim Ziyech, it really helped and it really worked wonders. I personally thought, and I know you agree with me on this because we, had a few discussions with pride of London readers on social media after the game. I thought that uh, Romelu Lukaku looked reinvigorated yesterday. That was his best performance in a while. And I think he really benefited from the service that he got from guys like Hudson, Odoi, Ziyech and Mount who I think are Chelsea's best creators. So when you get those guys into positions where they can thrive, they'll do that. So And I think another important thing that you mentioned, and I feel the exact same way, is you said this felt like a turning point, and I completely agree. This was one of those backs against the wall, do or die matches for Chelsea. And once again, we saw him step up.
1: Yeah. um, I mean, yeah, Lukaku, I think he put in a really good ship. And it's the kind of game where I've seen people, Kai Hobberts for a very similar game of, you know, running around, pressing, drawing players away from others. And with Lukaku, it just, for whatever reason, well, I know why it's the interview, but people just don't want to get over that interview. Uh, I think we did really well actually playing to his feet, playing in ways that he could benefit because he really doesn't want it at his head. And we also kind of took another one out of Lampard's book where the striker would come near post and then the other winger would go to the far post and we would just bypass all the way to the far post. And Hudson-Odoi came on the end of a few of those in the same way Timo Werner used to come in on a few of those. And maybe on a different day, they're a little more clinical and that works out, but you know, that only happens because Lukaku's drawn players away. You know, Ziyech's goal, you know, that was a cross turn shot, whatever aimed at the far post Because Lukaku would drag players away to the other post. Like that's important stuff that needs to be looked at when you're evaluating the striker. Like, obviously, he's not had the best of times at Chelsea for different reasons, but he's nowhere near as bad as people have made out. And you know, everyone was awful against Brighton. Pretty much everyone was just as good against Spurs. So you have to take both sides of it. And you know, it was a good performance. And it was important to have him create those chances for others that we eventually scored on, even if he wasn't the one scoring himself. Um, yeah, I mean, all game he was drawing defenders away. He was draw, marking out almost three defenders out of him and creating that space for Hudson-Odoi and Hakeem Ziyech to get into. And if he was able to get the ball, then usually it was coming to his feet, which is good. That's where he wants it. And he was able to draw you know, Mateo Kovacic or Mason Mount, who were closer to him. Into the game, so these are important things to look at. Um, yeah, and as for a turning point, I hope it is. I really do because because you know we need to get out of this rut eventually. And we've been in this rut since December. It, it's hard to ignore that the only games we've truly played completely well against is against Spurs. You know, we we had a good time against Liverpool, but we had that terrible start, which is. What put us in the hole? We've had some good moments here and there, but overall, like we haven't had any like standout performances like this Spurs one since like November. And that's kind of an issue. So we have two weeks off now. Hopefully they can take this win and you know recalibrate and rest up and use whatever fire in the belly they have against Spurs and use that in the Club World Cup and the League Cup final and everything else we have going on this season, because we cannot continue the rut that we've currently been in. It, it is not going to end well if we can't get out of it when we get back.
0: I think it's important to also note the fact that Tuchel gave the players two days off ahead of this one. He said that he would rather use those two days to let him rest and recharge rather than drill him in training for four days straight. And, I mean, we're coming off a period where we've played 18 games in 59 days. I think we've played the most games in that period um, in England. So, and I I think this is also something we agree on. Um, You know, everyone likes to moan about the fact that, oh, Chelsea didn't get a cancellation. Chelsea suffered because they had the injuries and the COVID cases and they were forced to play these games anyway. I'm of the mindset now that we've kind of steered our ship through the storm and we've left all the other clubs behind. They've now got to play all of those games later on, whereas we've already played them. So we will have more time to rest. And uh, where I'm going with this is I really do think that rest mattered. Um, Tuchel said so after the game yesterday. And so that's why I'm in agreement with you that these next two weeks are going to be huge. The players need to rest, and I think this is the only possible way that we could have come out and gone into this break because if we had lost this game and the players had to sit on that for two weeks, it would have been an absolute disaster, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, I mean, for first of all, it's kind of brave of Tuchel to have given him a two-day break because the last time he gave him a two-day break, they came back with a COVID outbreak. So, hopefully something's happened between now and then that made it that convinced them that was a good idea. But, I mean, the only issue with the two-week break is, you know, Pulisic is still going to be with the United States. Thiago Silva is still going to be with Brazil. And, you know, else is going to be able to rest up. But those guys are still going to be going. So, we're going to have to work around that. We'll pretty much go straight into club workup. Once they get back from training. So all the travel involved in that and the time zone shifts, that's going to make things pretty funky. So I don't think we're completely out of the woods yet, but this definitely helped us see the light. And, you know, like I've said on the cancellation thing, like you're going to play those games later. It's not like they go away. It's just a matter of, are you going to be tired in December? Or are you going to be tired in March? You know, like, I mean, think about Burnley right now. Burnley's what, six games behind? There's no way Burnley is a team equipped to play that many matches in a short span of time that they're going to have to play. Um, And it's not like Liverpool and City have had a ton of games canceled like Spurs or Arsenal have. They've been competing with roughly the same amount of games we have. So it's not like our situation is perfect. Now that we've played all these games and we don't have to worry about them. But, you know, I don't think we need to worry about top four at all with Spurs. They're going to have to catch up. And, you know, are they equipped for it? Is Arsenal equipped for it? And, you know, these little things are going to matter once, you know, other competitions start interfering as well.
0: I think that's an important point you just made as well. Um, the fact that you said, what you did about the top four. I really think this game was the difference between us worrying about the top four and us worrying about Liverpool, because I really think, I mean, obviously it's unrealistic to think that we have any chance of catching up and competing for the title this year. We are now in a race for second. It's us against Liverpool for second and third. And I think before this Spurs win, you kind of did have to look at the top four and I still think you do to some degree. It's just not as dire a situation. And you have to think, well, I mean, they have these games in hand. Are they going to catch us? And obviously, with the likes of Spurs, I think they still have three games in hand. Um, and United's got two. I think West Ham has a few and Arsenal has a few as well. And those are really all of the top four rivals. I, we're in a good position right now. And our schedule, and as I noted on the last podcast, gets significantly easier from here on out. Because we've already played City twice. We've already played Liverpool twice. Those are the two teams ahead of us. We've already played Spurs twice. They're directly behind us. And then you've got to take on the West Hams and the Arsenals just once. And they're going to be playing a plethora of games. So I think it's really important now to look back and look at those games in hand. For them, as sort of a bad thing, because like you said, they do have all those competitions, and they will be tired. And I don't know if they're going to be equipped for it. West Ham are still trying to buy players. Spurs are still trying to buy players. Um, United's offloading guys like Jesse Lingard and Anthony Martial, and so yeah. I mean, I I'm not going to speak on their depth. This isn't a podcast for Man United, Arsenal, West Ham, or Spurs. But it's important to look at those transfer situations and see. You know, I don't know if they're going to be comfortable with their depth, and I I really like the position we're sitting in right now after this win against Spurs. Yeah, you know
1: and I mean, looking at our depth, other than you know James and Chiwell being out, like we're kind of getting back to where we have everyone back up. You know, maybe they're not all fit enough, maybe they're not in form, but you know, we have the bodies now. It's just a matter of. You know getting everyone clicking again in a way that really works going forward here. And we, w- our next game's Plymouth in the FA Cup, so yeah, I mean, play the babies, we won't, but we should.
0: Yeah, I, I don't know. Um, I, I think it's going to be good to it, it'll act as kind of a refresher for the club world cup, which I mean, no disrespect to the club world cup, I want to win it, I want that golden patch for the shirt, even though the premier league won't let us wear it, but that's kind of a refresher for premier league and champions league games too. That leads me to the next topic though, is kind of a really good segue into it. There are a few question marks. Like I mentioned earlier, there were a few guys that were left out that could be playing in this team. So let's just assume um, we're going to play a hypothetical here. Let's assume that we go with the four, one, four, one for the near future. There are a few question marks. I think the biggest one starts at the back. What did you make of Tuchel's choice to start Malang Sarr over Marcus Alonso, especially against Tottenham, a team that Alonso has historically thrived against?
1: Oh, I, I think the way he used it made more, more sense to use Sarr than Alonso because you, you put Alonso in the team if you're, you're trying to create width on that side. And we already had Hudson and Odoi there, so we didn't need Alonso to do it. But if you have one player creating with on that side already, then you need someone who's going to, you know, come central and help you with possession. And, you know, the long story's kind of shown he can do that. Um, you know, we have a really not odd mix of center backs, but we have a lot of center backs that, you know, in a different time period, they'd be fullbacks. of uh, What fullbacks used to be before every fullback was, expected to overlap and everything else. So, you know, I think he did well in that role of being able to come in and help out Jorginho on and uh Cueta and everyone else just you know maintain that possession at the back and then be able to get it forward. You know, I don't think it was perfect, but he's definitely been a whole lot better than I really expected him to be from what I saw at Porto and what I heard about his time at Porto. Um yeah I mean it's it's already kind of weird that he was a free agent and we were able to snap him up usually if you're a free agent at that age there's something a little funky going on um but i mean he's he's turning the corner he's looking good he might have a way forward here um i don't necessarily think he'll always be over alonzo but in the way we used it with hudson odoy in front it made a lot of sense
0: Yeah, and I think just going back to the whole free agent thing, I really do think it was just a matter of contract negotiations. If I recall correctly, he captained Nice in his last year there and he became their youngest captain. I'm not sure, but um, yeah, the Porto situation was weird. I I thought Malang over the last month, I I think he's been really good and I thought he was really good yesterday as well. And I know this is something that we've talked about before and I really don't want to keep beating a dead horse, but we really did see yesterday the endless possibilities that we have when we use a back four, especially like that, where we have the center backs like Saar and Azpilicueta on either side, you know, at times we saw Malang Sar and Azpilicueta barrel up and go into the attack. You know, when Saar got fouled on the orange card as we'll call it. He was in the midfield. He was making those Chilwell-esque runs. And then Azpilicueta did his thing where he went up the right. And I think that's a real positive of this formation because, and that's that's going to be a real positive of having four center backs playing along that back line is the fact that, you know, they're completely comfortable when one person breaks the lines, charges forward, and now you've got a back three. So the next question I think really is in the midfield. We saw Mateo Kovacic link up really well with Mason Mount as a number eight. And join up in the attack. And then we saw Jorginho sit back and just dictate the game from deep. Do you think there's a place for N'Golo Kante? Do you think when fully fit and match ready, he starts in this team? Or do you think we really are rolling with Jorginho and Kovacic from here on out in this formation?
1: Yeah, I, th- yeah, I don't think we're going to stick with this formation all the time. Um I mean, one of the reasons I think this four-one-four-one works so well is because Spurs kind of played narrow with their three-five-two. So between our back five, as I called it, which is probably not the best way to call it, um, and our front five, Spurs couldn't figure out where they needed to press with two strikers and then three midfielders, which were pretty outnumbered by the, the box that we were making with Saar, quite a Mason Mount, Kovacic, and then also Hudson, Odoi, and Ziyech being really wide and occasionally coming deep. Um, that made it almost impossible for Spurs to press. They couldn't figure out if they needed to go forward on our defense and close that gap or back up and let our defense do their thing as they defended elsewhere. So they were constantly caught in two minds that they couldn't figure out what they needed to do. And, you know, as soon as you're caught in two minds like that, that gap in between is where we are supposed to strike. And, you know, I think it worked really well. Um, if we were doing more like a four-two-two-two 2 2 or a four-two-three-one, even, I would probably use Conte more um, just because of he, – he's not going to be that same kind of possession-oriented player but he's definitely the guy you want in between that front attack and that back defense, trying to keep that possession. And I mean, he's also going to be better at pressing than most of the other midfielders. So I think it really just depends on what we're looking to do. You know, are we playing two up top or are we just playing with Lukaku? How are we stretching the field with our wingers or are we really compacting the center and, You know, only using the wings to switch the play really quickly and different opponents, it's going to, you know, change how things are done. And then we always have three at the back if we're playing like City or Liverpool and, you know, stall them out. So there's definitely different plans we have here. I don't think, I don't think we should get carried away with one formation being the go to anymore because this is kind of what Tuchel did at PSG. He would change constantly depending on, you know, how he was trying to attack the opponent. Was he, you know, hitting them in the center? Was he trying to stretch them wide? Where was he pressing? Who was pressing? All these little things that are changing. And, you know, maybe finally he's come to the point where, okay, this Chelsea side's ready to do all that. And th- we're reaping the rewards of it now.
0: Yeah, I was like a kid in a candy store yesterday when I saw that we were going to line up in this 4-1-4-1-er whatever hybrid of a four at the back you want to call it just because we are finally seeing the Thomas Tuchel that was promised, you know, the tactical genius that'll change formations from game to game. And I'm really glad because while I think Chelsea does have a long-term identity of three at the back. And I think we really have ever since Antonio Conte was here and he switched things up. I'm glad that we can be flexible now. So, but just to kind of sum that up, I, I guess if I'm understanding correctly, what you're saying is when we're playing with one defensive midfielder or to be a hipster, a regista, you would prefer Jorginho and Kovacic and Mount in that three, but when we play as a defensive midfield two, Conte has to be in there.
1: Yeah, that's mostly what I'm saying. Um, yeah, basically you just want someone in the four-one-four-one, and I mean, this could completely change if, we have James and Chilwell back how it works because when they were fit for Lampard, Mount and Kovacic weren't really getting forward as much as they were. Um, So things can change a lot, but yeah, you want someone in that kind of formation that is good at recycling the ball because that's, they're going to be back in the recycling part of the field and you also want them to be able to get it forward if they need to. And that's, It's Georgina. That's not Conte. Conte wants to run with the ball if he gets it. And you don't really want that. You want them passing the ball out of there. And then anything like 4-2-3-1, 4-2-2-2, you kind of want one of those players to be more possession-oriented. But you really – ideally, both of them are able to dribble if need be, and the other one stays back. So, you know, Conte and Kovacic, one can dribble forward, the other stays back. In position, just in case possessions lost. So th- there's uses for all of our three main midfielders right now. We'll we'll have to see how Saul fits in this because when we bought him, or we didn't buy him; we loaned him. When we loaned him in, it seemed like he'd be more of that box to box kind of guy, but he's always been terrible doing that for us. But in this "quote unquote" register role, that's where he's actually been good. So. You know, he's not going to get in over Georgina when it comes to it, or even Kovacic if it comes to it. So where's he going to fit into all this if we keep doing this three-man midfield or four-man midfield, whatever we're going to call it? Uh, yeah, lots of different ideas going at once. And, you know, game to game, it's going to change. And it, it just seems like right now Tuchel's kind of settling on a team going forward. uh, more or less like he did last season at about this time. So, if you're in, you're in. If you're out, you're out.
0: I think I can answer your question about where Sal fits in, and that's right in that role against Plymouth. But yeah. uh, just before we take a quick ad break, um, once again, we're doing this hypothetical if we're sticking this, sticking with this formation. Just a quick yes or no. Would you use that front four that we used yesterday? Do you think it's the best option going forward?
1: Z H, Lukaku, Hudson-Odoi, and Mantle?
0: Yeah.
1: Um, yeah, I don't see why not. I mean, we don't have really any other wide players right now. And not that I really think ZH is a wide player, but he is comfortable out there if he's on a very offensive you know, way of doing it. Um, I was really quick to Alonso. They're not really going to create the width that you want and be able to do all the other stuff you want them to do. Pulisic is really the only other argument there. And he, he just hasn't shown up lately. You know, maybe he goes and plays with America and he gets his head back together with some good wins and we qualify for the world cup or whatever. But right now for Chelsea, he's just not doing enough to earn a spot. So, th- that makes things weird for him. Yeah, other than that, Mount Lukaku, I don't think, is really questionable. So, it's just a matter of who's going to be the wingers with them. And Right now, Hudson Odoy and Ziyech are the ones in better form than Pulisic.
0: Yeah, I think I complete, completely <laughs> agree with you there. And then I also think, you know, if we're playing a back four, I think Malang Sar is the guy to go with at left back right now. I don't think there's any reason to change it. I think when Reese James comes back, he displaces Espelicueta as the starting right back. Um, But they can switch because we're going to, once again, after this break, it's going to feel weird. We're going to go back to having a lot of games. And then I think we have to have a fluid midfield, like you said. So we're going to take a quick ad break. We will be right back to talk miscellaneous topics and answer some fan questions. Alrighty, guys. So thanks for sticking with us. We just recapped the Spurs match. Now, I guess, Travis, the one thing I want to talk about now is the Thomas Tuchel survival of sorts. We've seen, and this has been a nauseating topic on Chelsea Twitter today because of some banners that people wanted to purchase and all this kind of stuff. It's ridiculous. We haven't really seen anyone suggest that Thomas Tuchel's job is under fire he's not on the hot seat yet but once again if you are the manager of chelsea your seat's always warm so i'm really relieved to see us finally get through this period and i feel like now we're seeing this break and i think thomas tuchel has successfully to a degree um, to the best of his ability guided us through this period what are your overall thoughts on the job thomas tuchel has done this season and especially during this period
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm more critical of Tuchel than some, not because I don't like him, just because I don't think he's as perfect as people want him to be. You know, we won the Champions League, and that was fantastic, and we were by far favorites this time. But how long can we really hang our hat on that? you know, we're not Liverpool talking about how many titles we've won or Arsenal talking about the invincibles. We're Chelsea and all we have is the next game. So, you know, I think there's some tactical things that he's done that are a little suspect earlier in the season. I think um, there's some players he's played and overused when he really shouldn't have because there have been alternatives. And, you know, the fact that – he doesn't want to use them is a little odd. Um, And then there's just like the weird youth stuff. Like I understand giving Lewis Baker a goodbye game, knowing he's about to leave, but give it to one of the kids that's going to be here next season. You know, Lewis Baker had his chance. There shouldn't be any sentimentality with that. Give it to someone who might be here later. Um, So it's just like a bunch of little micro decisions that I have an issue with. But the macro decisions he gets right, you know, we don't beat Spurs three times in a month without having an excellent manager, no matter how Spurs are currently doing. We don't compete with Guardiola and Jurgen Klopp on almost even footing for the first time in years after a manager has been here for months without a great manager. You know, I, I don't think he was ever in danger of being fired. Unless there was like some unrest between him and the board, which we haven't really got a sense of. I get people want signings, but just because you want signings doesn't mean you can get them. And there just aren't going to be many in January. And, you know, people wanted wingbacks, but the level of quality you need at wingback to play the way we need to play with Thomas Tuchel is so high that we weren't going to get it in this market. And we're not – I mean, like, our best solution was Emerson, who last season played three starts for Thomas Tuchel all at left center back, not wing back. Like, he's not the guy. So, you know, this whole, like, let's put up a banner show showing we back Tuchel and the board should back him too. Like, the board does back him. They just can't make something happen out of thin air. And maybe we've become wrongly accustomed to that, you know, from Chelsea of old, but also – Like, even more recent, Chelsea, like, there was no reason to sign Kai Havertz, but he was there, and we wanted him, and the board actually got him. You know, people wanted Lukaku. They may not remember how badly people wanted Lukaku, but they did, and the board got him. Like, it's ridiculous to say this board isn't doing what they need to be doing just because, you know, the deals aren't shaking out the way we want them to shake out, and January's bad for business anyway. But since COVID's happened, January's been terrible for business for everybody. You know, no one's buying these superstar players around us in January like they might have with a few years ago. So, you know, Tugel's backed. Tugel's gotten the results he needs to stay afloat. You know, maybe we're not where we want to be. We're not in the title race like we really wanted to be at the end of winter. But we're much more stable than we've ever been at this point or maybe not ever been at this point but much more stable than we've been at this point for many many years you know Antonio Conte had was in the title race and came out of January good Jose Mourinho did the same thing and then you're probably back into 13 14 where you know it kind of looked like things were trending upwards at the end of
0: January
1: so you know there, there's still a few little things to adjust here and there But Tuchel's shown he's the guy to do it so long as he can stay on the board's good side and vice versa. You know, if that stays a positive relationship and the players don't turn on him for whatever reason, you know, this is the way to build forward. And, you know, we should back the manager anyway over the players and the board. But, you know, all those little pieces need to be fitting together for this to work. And right now they fit.
0: Yeah. And I don't mean to keep quoting from Matt Lahr, the London is blue podcast, as much as we, we love them both. He had a cool little nugget on his episode where he said that he went through and analyzed and Chelsea right now has players that were purchased under six different managers still. And he compared that to the likes of Liverpool and Man City who have two. So It really is a culture thing. And I think he mentioned he has a piece or had a piece coming out on that. I don't know if it's out yet or not, but it was a really interesting thing. And it was an eye-opening comment for me. And obviously that's not going to change in the snap of a finger. This isn't FIFA as much as people want to make it out to be. And especially the people who say, oh, we're not backing the manager because we haven't brought anyone in in January. We aren't there. We aren't behind closed doors with Tuchel and Marina and Petr Cech having these discussions or listening to them. I would love to be a fly on the wall for these discussions, but the fact of the matter is I never will be. None of us will be. So I think right now the positive takeaway is that Thomas Tuchel has a positive relationship with the board as far as we know. And he has successfully guided us through this really hard period. And barring a collapse of epic proportions in the next six months, he's going to become the longest tenured manager at Chelsea since Antonio Conte. So he's going to get that quote unquote third season, second and a half season, Mm -hmm. whatever you want to call it um, in charge. And I, I think that's a really good thing. And that in and of itself shows growth from both he and the board. He has shown that he can handle a disgruntled locker room. And of course it is easy to sit here and nitpick these decisions like the Lewis Baker decision over the youth. But the fact of the matter is, is at this point I have no reason to doubt Thomas Tuchel and his ability. He is the guy that I want there. And I think, and I hope that the Chelsea board agrees. So I, it looks like he's in it for the long run. And I really, think that the board is too, you know, I talked about it at the beginning of the year, he could be the one to break this chain. And I still, I firmly believe that us. I mean, obviously as Chelsea fans, we wanted Frank Lampard to be that guy. And we all talked about this as the fantasy because he was the chosen one, the one who came back as much as I love Frank Lampard. We were kind of blinded at the time, he was never really going to be that guy because the board was never going to give him the time that he required. But Thomas Tuchel doesn't require the same thing. He's already come in and changed the culture, not as much as the likes of Guardiola and Klopp at Man City and Liverpool, but he's shown that he can drastically change things in a short amount of time. And now we are really seeing what he can do with the team. And I know this isn't the best time to talk about that, because of all the recent draws, but I mean, all of those games were draws. We were on the back foot in a lot of those games because of the really awful situation that we'd been put in and he managed to get a draw to those. It, and I know that's me being a glass half full kind of guy, but that's the reality of the situation. So yeah, I'm just, I'm really hopeful. And I think we are actually seeing a change here at Chelsea.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I said when, you know, people started talking about Tugel staying for a long time, like, I'll believe he'll be an 18 month manager as soon as he reaches 18 months. And, you know, we're getting close. And there's been very little talk of player unrest. And, like, that's only been recent that anything has come out. There's been no talk of him unrest with the board. You know, results aren't great if you look at it in a vacuum, but overall they're much better than they could have been. Um, Yeah. I mean, we, we just needed to build around somebody at some point. And, you know, a lot of us wanted it to be Lampard. A lot of us wanted it to be sorry or Conte, but you know, Tuchel's the guy here now. So let's build around Tuchel now and and hope we don't need to look forward to anyone else down the road. I mean, if, if nothing else, Tuchel's staying right now because there's not a Thomas Tuchel out there in the market for us to snap up. So, you know, ride this one through.
0: Yeah, and it was really easy to look at the past managers and say, or in reason with the board as to why they were sacked. You know, um, I, I think this is a little harsh on Lampard when we say it. His team was ninth when he was sacked. I think he was 11 points off the top at the time. It was a really close gap in a weird COVID year. But the fact of the matter is he was ninth, you know, Maurizio, Sari absolutely isolated the club from its fans. And he barely scrapped into the top four. And I get it. He won the Europa League, but I mean, overall, he, he was never going to last. And then Antonio Conte finished outside of the top four. So when we look at all of those struggles for what they were, it's understandable as to why those guys were sacked to a degree. I mean, even though we don't all agree with it, but if you look at Thomas Tuchel, we've struggled the last two months as we've noted. And where are we in the league table? We're third. We're super cup winners. We're in the Carabao cup final. We have a very, very winnable fixture in the FA cup. We have the club world cup coming up and you have to like our odds to advance into the quarterfinals of the champions league. So, yeah, the premier league's gone, but we've still got a chance at five trophies this season and we should realistically win at least three of them. So we've already won one. And then the Carabao cup and club world cup, we should win. And that leaves the FA cup and the champions league, which anything can happen in those competitions. So it, this kind of season has never really happened at Chelsea. And Thomas Tuchel deserves all the credit in the world for the job he's done. So, that, that's just where I'm at with that. And I, I'm, I'm really thrilled that it finally looks like we have someone to build around. And on the topic of building, we are in January still, even though it really doesn't even seem like we're in a transfer window because of all the inactivity. It's really hard, as you mentioned earlier, to get transfers going in a COVID year. But there have been some rumors. You know, Chelsea signed Dylan Williams, a young left back for the academy from Derby. We recalled Kennedy and we signed a young center back from Watford. And that's the extent of our business so far. I don't know if we'll see anyone in by the end of the month, but who knows? Um, the latest going around in the transfer market is Dusan Vlahovic from Fiorentina to Juventus that one looks to be progressing rapidly and that could start a chain of events that sees Alvaro Morada to Barcelona. And I'm really intrigued and I called this out on Twitter earlier. And I know you and I talked about it a little bit before I'm intrigued to see whether or not that forces Barcelona to sell someone quickly because they had trouble registering for on Torres from Man City when they signed him. So I don't know where they would have magically come up with the funds. They had to restructure contracts to make that work. So I don't know where they would magically free up the funds for Morata, both for a transfer fee and to register him. So, uh, you know, we've been linked to uh, Dembele. We've been linked to Dest. So I, I guess, what are your thoughts on Chelsea's January inactivity? And what do you think the next week holds potentially for us?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the main thing is there just aren't players in January. And the players we needed wingbacks, we found a solution that doesn't need wingbacks. And even if we did buy a wingback, they wouldn't have satisfied anybody because there's not going to be someone out in the market that's going to meet the standards we need right now. You know, people like to complain about Marcos Alonso, but I can almost guarantee you anyone we buy to be the left wingback deputy is going to remain a deputy to Marcos Alonso. Um, You know, maybe this Barcelona situation does create some movement. You know, I can't imagine they want Dembele to go for free in the summer. So they need to do something kind of quickly. You know, Tuchel has had rave reviews about him as a player. You know, his injury history, some of his personal stuff aside, you know, if Tuchel wants him, there's no way you're going to be able to say we're backing Thomas Tuchel more than getting Dembele into this team. You know, it makes very little sense otherwise, other than doing Barcelona a favor, given what's happened the last few years. But, you know, if Ducal wants him and you remember how he was at Dortmund, like, that makes sense. Like, this is a we're backing you Tuchel, kind of move. In the same way, you know, bringing... Higuain in for Maurizio Sarri was a "we're backing you here" kind of move. Um, you know, Dest would be interesting. You know, I don't really think Dest is a good defender. Um, you know, maybe we don't necessarily need a good defender as a wing back, given how it operates. But I don't know. Yeah, I f- I would find it really awkward for us to have Pulisic and not play Pulisic a ton, have Americans not really like that. We're not playing Polisic a ton. And then we get Dest to put into the same kind of situation. Like Chelsea would be hated by America. Not that I think that's going to be something the board's considering, but I can already see the whole narrative now from like the U S men's national team fans that think Greg burhalter is the greatest thing since Pep Guardiola in a turtleneck. And like oh Chelsea's not playing Pulisic or Dest. They, he they should be starting over Reese James and Mason Mount. Like that's it's not gonna happen. Um, yeah, I mean, but like I mean, look at Juventus's whole deal and Barcelona's whole deal. They're taking advantage of things going on in the market right now, and maybe you shouldn't necessarily just take advantage of something that's happening when you don't need to get a player, but. You know, that's the kind of things maybe we need to look at if like if we really want to wing back, you know, now's the time to be calling up Barcelona, like, hey, you know, we could free up some of your wage bill here or you know, hey, you want Dembele to go for free or do you want a transfer fee right now? Like these are the things we should consider, you know, if if we really want to get somebody in this window. I don't think we need to get somebody in, but
0: it's one of my favorite little nuggets on Twitter when all the uh, Christian Pulisic stands come at us and, you know, oh, Euro trash. You only back British players. Little do they know the faces behind the Twitter accounts are. I Americans. bought a
1: Matt Miazga jersey after his one game with Chelsea convinced he was going to make it like. I don't know how to explain it any better than that.
0: I think I've got three Christian Pulisic jerseys all of which are there two of which are Chelsea jerseys one number 10 one number 22 and then I've got a national team jersey but yeah that's that's my favorite thing so that's getting a little off topic um yeah I, I would really love us to capitalize on any potential Barcelona desperation whether it be Dembélé or Dest I've said my piece on both of them I I think they'd be very low risk moves given the financial aspect of it. But I think they could both really, really pay off for the team and Thomas Tuchel as an individual. So before we get into the fan questions, I just have one question for you. Really straightforward. Dembele for 20 million euros or less. Yes or no in January.
1: Yeah. I mean, 20 million euros for a player that, you know, maybe Tuchel wants that he got the best out of that he likes, you know, just why not? I mean, the only annoying part of that is if he goes for free in the summer and we're in for him again, we could get him for free. But that just is what it is.
0: What's 10 to 20 million pounds for Chelsea?
1: I mean, that's a Danny Drinkwater loan somewhere. Like, it'll be all right.
0: Yeah, it's a Ross Barkley sale this summer. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm in the same boat. I think if Dembele who went for a hundred plus million euros to Barcelona is available for really, really cheap price, do it. Absolutely do it. Now it's going to take a lot, you know, sources have said, um, I think specifically Fabrizio Romano and closes source sources close to Barcelona, sorry, have said that it's, it's really going to be tough, but I think. There's seven days left in the window. If it's going to take at least another few to get this ball rolling on Vlahovic and Murata, Barcelona is going to be really, really desperate, especially to register a player like Murata. So I think we can capitalize on that. So we've got two qu- fan questions. Wow, I'm really stumbling over my words. Really. Got two fan questions from one from Travis Flock, who is a regular on our podcast. He's one of the Pride of London contributors. And he wanted to chime in this week. He said, Should Chelsea play a back four more often? So, what are your thoughts on that question?
1: Yeah. I mean, so long as we don't have wing backs, don't play a formation that relies on really good wing backs. We're blessed with this weird combination of center backs that could be old school fullbacks, you know, lean into that, you know, Malong Sar has been doing really well as a quote unquote left back without having to get forward pretty much ever. Cesar Osbiliqueta has been doing really well as a right back again without really having to get forward. You just create situations where other players are the ones getting forward either from the midfield or the wingers are going really wide or whatever you need to do. So I kind of think once Reese James and Ben Chilwell come back, we'll just go back to uh, three at the back. But maybe things change once, you know, Andreas Christensen or Antonio Rudiger or whoever else start pulling out of the team and leaving, you know, maybe then we go back to, you know, change things up and push for more of a four in the back through the summer window with the signings we make.
0: Yeah, I think the long-term identity will be a back three. Uh, I think it should be, at least. Um, I don't know whether Thomas Tuchel will lean into that or not because I really don't think he has a preferred formation. I just think he works with what he's got. If it means playing as well as we played against Spurs, absolutely, we should keep using a back four. But I don't want to see us just... I don't want to see us keep playing without an identity or trying to force moves, so... I really, it just depends. I'm, this isn't really going to answer the question. I think we should play with whatever Thomas Dupel wants to play with in that game, given the personnel he has available. Simple as that. I think there were a lot of positives in the back four, and I think that was one of the best games we've played in a while, if not all season. So if we can keep playing like that, and we're comfortable enough with the personnel we have playing in that formation, yeah, keep doing it. So second question comes from RJ who we interact with a lot on Twitter, one of our good friends. And he says, do you think Zich will have a longer tenure at Chelsea than what was perhaps expected?
1: Yeah. If he can keep up this form, I mean, he's been kind of going back and forth between being old Zich and new and improved. We're playing for the back and Zich is the linchpin of everything we're doing. Zich. Um, if nothing else, it seems like right now Thomas Tuchel is backing him game after game, no matter what, in the same way he's doing Lukaku. Uh, you know, I mentioned earlier Ziyech, Mount Lukaku. That seems to be our trio right now. And if that stays the case, then, yeah, I think Ziyech does continue to stay at Chelsea for past the summer at least. You know, and then you're going to start asking questions about you know like Christian Pulisic and Timo Werner. Like you're just shuffling the issue around of who you need to worry about. But right now, ZH seems to be in more than he is out, which even like a month ago didn't really seem like it would be the case.
0: I would say like a week or two ago, I was under the impression that he just didn't fit into what Thomas Tuchel was trying to do, and largely, I think that is the case in a back three. But when you play in this back four, if Thomas Tuchel has a plan to continue this, I think there's a real case for ZH being in here. You know, it's all about playing players in the positions that they need to and where they can thrive, as we talked about earlier. And if we can keep putting ZH into these positions like we did against Juventus and like we did here against Spurs, to if we put him into these positions to succeed he's a hell of a player. So, yeah, why not keep him?
1: Yeah, I, I think that four at the back point is important because like, when, when you're playing three at the back, you're splitting the duties of the center backs up more so each of them ha- are a little less responsible for it. When you're playing three midfielders instead of two, you're spreading out those duties so each is a little less responsible for everything. You know, When we're doing four at the back, we have either an extra midfielder or an extra attacker, which is taking some of that pressure off Ziyech. So maybe that's been part of the issue where he's had to do more than he's really comfortable doing. And we could even have that conversation about Kai Harvard's as well. You know, Maybe both of those guys, when we're doing four at the back, maybe they really come alive in ways we haven't seen, you know, arguably since Lampard in the very early stages when we were riding high with him.
0: I think someone described Hakim Ziyech yesterday as an enigma, and I think that's the best way to do it because, you know, while I think you definitely have a point there, I thought it was really weird and interesting because I think Ziyech actually had more responsibility yesterday. You know, I think he he tracked back better than anyone else, and he defended really well, and that part of his game has really grown here at Chelsea. But then I think he was really tasked with the chance creation for the most part yesterday. I think he did the best job of that. So, yeah, an enigma is the best way to describe Hockam There's really no better word for it. So um, overall, uh, before we finish up here, I would be remiss if I did not take a second to just appreciate the Hockam goal while we're talking about him. That was one of the best goals scored this season by Chelsea, and it could not have come at a more important time. Going back to the Enigma conversation, Hakim Ziyech may not turn up in these small games, but in the Super Cup, he was excellent. Against Juventus in a must-win Champions League match, he was excellent. Against Man City last season, he was excellent. And once again, here's the bright lights, here's the big occasion, and who shows up? Hakim Ziyech. So... Yeah. I, like I said, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that. So that's going to do it for us today, guys. Thank you everybody for listening. Make sure to go check out all of our work on the Interact with us, the pride of London on Facebook. We've got at pride of London on Twitter. You can find me on Twitter at Gabe H sports and you can find Travis on Twitter.
1: Yep. You can find me at Trafticle.
0: So thanks for listening guys. We will be back next week. Um, With some miscellaneous topics, we're not going to have any games to recap, but we'll definitely talk about all the happenings at Chelsea. So be sure to tune in then. Thanks again for listening.